0: Radio as the Founders intended. Mojo Five O. You have just entered the Liberty Lighthouse, where we cut through the fog of politics with common sense and logic. Coming to you from Pennsylvania. The state of independence. And now, here he is, author of the book, Progress Really? U.S. Navy veteran, and your host, Peter Serafine.
1: Hello, fellow patriots and freedom fighters. Welcome to the Liberty Lighthouse. Uh, Today, I have a guest with us, and to give you a clue as to who this guest is and why, I'm going to play the message that he left for us. Let's start with that.
2: Hey, Peter. It's the Mojo Riverfish from Room 13. Hey, I'm greatly enjoying your program, and... I was listening to last week's program you talked about, 1984, and now I'm kind of concerned. I'm kind of curious about your take on George Orwell's Animal Farm because, to me, Animal Farm is just a a warning, a storybook warning of what will happen when the extreme left takes over. You see, they set down rules, and then the rules always change and evolve when it benefits them, you know, because some are more equal than others just want to see your take. I want to hear your take on it. I want to see if I'm actually smart or if I need to be schooled up a little bit, see if we're on
1: the same page as it were. So keep up the great work. Greatly enjoying the show. Talk to you soon. So that was, as he said, the Mojo Riverfish, uh, one of the hosts of the brand-new addition to the Mojo Five O Radio Network, Room 13. And uh, so rather than just talking about it myself, I called him up and, and said, hey, why don't we talk about this together? And he said, sure. So with that, why don't we just, you know, jump in and get going?
0: You're listening to Liberty Lighthouse. Join the conversation now. Call or text 64 Rights. That's 646-974-4487.
1: So, on the phone, as promised, is well the mojo river fish. What's up, fish? Hey Peter, what's going on? uh, not much just sitting here in the studio talking to you um i, I uh, uh, animal farm brilliant idea um cute little book. I had to refresh myself as uh, I believe you did as well.
2: yeah, I spent the last couple days going over. I cheated. I cheated,
1: yeah. I got the audio.
2: It's been a couple of years since I've uh, read it last, so I got the audio version of it just to make sure I got every little point that I could write down every little note that I took uh, while, while rehashing my memory of it. Uh,
1: that's not cheating at all. Um, I actually did the same thing. I, I listened to it while I was uh, doing the job, um, driving around delivering mail and, and listening to the audio version myself. Yeah, it was. uh... Oh, sorry. No,
2: no, go ahead. No, it was just so cool just to listen to it. And then with current events kind of being very fresh on my mind, just writing down random thoughts of, oh, my gosh, that's this. Oh, my gosh, this could be this. Oh, wow, this is this. It's a book from, God, is it 50 years old now? And it still takes on a different kind of perspective when you kind of look at it through franchise especially through today's, what's going on today.
1: Right. Um, and, and, yeah, it was written in, I want to say, 48 or something like that. Um, you and I have, have uh, had exchanged a few messages about the book, and we have different perspectives of how it is a warning. Uh, yes, it obviously is a warning. George Orwell uh, wrote it as a warning t- to uh, whoever was willing to listen. But what it's warning of, we, you, and I have slightly different opinions of. So I want to go over your version of what you think it's a, a cautionary tale of, and then we'll we'll get to mine and and kind of treat them separately rather than hashing back and forth through the whole show.
2: All right. All right. See, I saw it, and especially when I reread it, I. Saw, if if you haven't read the book, you really got to pick it up. It's very cool. Um, it's exactly what it sounds like. Uh, an animal farm uh, takes over uh, Farmer Jones' farm. Um, they talk, they walk the whole shot, they drive off the farmers, and they run it as their own. They, they take control of the farm. And um, some little stories kind of perk up from there. Um, we'll, we'll probably go into detail about what actually happens. But I saw Animal Farm as kind of representing the Democratic Party as it is right now. And in the book itself, there are two salient characters. There's Snowball, who is one pig, and Napoleon is another. Snowball's much more, is a younger pig, he's very vivacious, he talks a lot, uh, kind of like AOC, talks a lot. (laughs) And then there's the older pig, Napoleon, who is a little more traditional, um, doesn't talk as much, but uh, very stern, and uh, I see that character uh representing Nancy Pelosi. Um that's how I saw the book. And then there are other people uh that or animals that pop up during the course of the read that I think take on um more current characters. Um we had a discussion about it uh today whether uh who Squealer represents. Squealer is another pig in the book. Um I saw that person as being the media today. Or it's also uh, the, the squad, AOC and her, uh, her little backup triplets. Uh, <laughs> and then you still have uh, the fear of the farmer coming back or the fear of the other farmers taking over and that being represented, a representative of COVID, trying to keep the animals in line, trying to keep the animals doing what uh,
1: those in charge want them to do. Okay, how am I doing so far? I, hey, this is your your opinion. See, I intentionally did not research anybody else's opinion of the book of what, or or anybody else's uh, what they think it means. Any else, their perspective. I I avoided that because I didn't want to uh, to influence myself, and I don't want to influence you. I want you to to make your case for what you think it's warning of, and and. You're doing just fine so far.
2: There's other points during the book um, that just start popping into my mind really quick. Um, There are, Napoleon does take, drives off the younger pig, and he takes over. He starts spreading malicious lies um, throughout the rest of Animal Farm about the younger pig he drove off, and he does this through Squealer. Squealer's his mouthpiece. Squealer will be today's media, who kind of ends up being the... Mouthpiece for the Democratic Party, they just kind of go off with their little talking points, and uh, they're very much attack dog vocal piece of the Democratic Party. Uh, During the the book part, where they start calling out people that oppose the Democratic Party or oppose, sorry, not the Democratic Party, but oppose Animal Farm, and their talking point, and they're called out in front of everybody, and during this little part. There are some attack dogs, like literal attack dogs, that um, end up offing uh, those that opposed Animal Farm, Napoleon, or those that were in charge. And I saw the attack dogs as representative as uh, today's cancel culture. Interesting. Uh, trying to think what else came up that I thought was just during the book right. um,
1: well, well, that well, really just. Why don't we just kind of go over the storyline in a little more detail for anybody who hasn't read Animal Farm by George Orwell. So uh, you already mentioned uh, Jones was the farmer, and Jones used to be a good farmer, but he uh, you know, heart, fell on some hard times because of a, uh, a lawsuit, and he, he turned to drinking. And he and his crew, you know, they, they didn't become the best farmers after that. And the animals got frustrated, so the animals overthrew Jones. And the animals created their own philosophy that they called animalism. And there were seven principles, seven rules of animalism that they put forth. And that was, whatever goes upon two legs is an enemy. Whatever goes upon four legs or has wings is a friend. No animal shall wear clothes. No animal shall sleep in a bed. No animal shall drink alcohol, no animal shall kill any other animal, and all animals are equal. And you referenced that last rule in your voicemail, so we're, well, I'm sure we'll get to that. So the animals make these rules, they create this uh, philosophy, and since the pigs are the smartest animals on the farm, the pigs kind of run things, they become the de facto government, so to speak. Now there's several animal characters in the book there's uh i now i can't re- can't remember his name uh, the 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 horse the really strong but not too bright horse um oh he
2: uh
1: he, a- he basically has the the opinion of i will work harder i will do better and that will fix everything so he ends up getting up early to do more work than everybody else and in his spare time continues to go do work. And one of the things that the animals had set up was a retirement plan. Each animal was given a, a retirement age that, depending on the species of animal, when they reached reach that age, they'd be given a, 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 a pension of, you know, oats and hay and stuff and given their plot of land. Let's see. Uh, there were the sheep. The sheep are, again, not terribly bright creatures. They couldn't remember the seven rules. So uh, Squealer, the the mouthpiece of Napoleon, the lead pig, uh, kind of boiled down the seven rules into a a simple mantra that the pigs could understand, and that was four legs good, two legs bad. And so they... Being sheep, they would uh, they would say that regularly. Let's see, who else was there? Uh, there was another horse, a, a female horse, a mare. Um, there was a mule. Got yeah, both of names. Yeah, both names.
2: I'm skipping on.
1: Yeah, I forget both the horses' names either. And I didn't take any notes for this at all because I wanted it to be a, a conversation. Uh, there was a mule, and the mule was was wise, but did not speak much. And his answer to almost anything asked of him was. Uh, you know, donkeys live a long time. None of you have ever seen a dead donkey. And and I always took that to uh, to mean, you know, whatever it is, is it is what it is, and I'll get through it because I'm a donkey and I'm going to outlive all of you anyway.
2: <laughs> yeah, that was basically it. That was basically it. <laughs>
1: um, so let's see. So you mentioned Snowball and Napoleon. Snowball being the younger of the two pigs. These these are the two pigs that initially kind of take over in, in leadership positions, so to speak. Napoleon, the the uh, the stronger of the two, but Snowball, the more charismatic, is kind of how I took it. Uh, initially, everything is done on Animal Farm via a vote. They had a weekly meeting. And anything that was uh, put forth as resolutions was voted upon. Snowball and Napoleon rarely agreed. And most of the animals, well, they kind of went along with whichever one was speaking at the time. So that, that was challenging. Uh, because Snowball and Napoleon never agreed, there, I guess you could say a little uh, tension Rose between them, and you talked about the uh, well snowball got ran out of the farm by Napoleon, and let's see what else then then snowball was blamed for everything that went wrong, and Napoleon became a little dictatorial he he uh, eliminated the the weekly meetings and started you know issuing rules and well. You didn't see him very often anymore. He kind of stuck to himself. Ooh, you forgot a part. You forgot a good part. What did I forget?
2: He started segregating the animals. The animals no longer sat together. They sat in their own little cliques. So the sheep over here, the horses over here, the dogs over here, the roosters and the hens over there. Right. There was very much a
1: separation of the animals instead of them being all together like they were. Right. And in one of the opening... Uh, scenes, so to speak, of the book, when the animals were first all getting together for their first ever meeting before they've overthrown the farmer. Uh, it, it was a, the point was made how, you know, some of the animals came in looking for spots and like the cat snuggled up against the horse and, you know, looked for the warm spot. And, and uh, was it the, I don't remember what they were, the chicklings the chickens the ducklings or, or little baby chicks or something. You know everybody was making sure that they didn't step on smaller animals and so yeah, it was very much more family like in the beginning, and then you're right they they ended up getting separated into their species uh, see. so as which as, is up uh, yeah yeah yeah, and that
2: which uh kind of plays into today, doesn't it getting I, I, separated into our own little groups
1: I would agree, especially the uh you know. Like, to your point, the, the Democratic Party, who's always dividing everybody by color or national origin or whatever they think they're going to get the most uh, use out of at that particular time. So uh, Napoleon's in charge now, and, well, Napoleon, he's got those dogs. As you see, there, there were a couple of dogs on the farm, and they had puppies, and Napoleon took the puppies away. And raised him himself without anybody's knowledge of what was going on, and he turned them into you know vicious attack dogs, basically uh, the pigs being in charge well they started to to uh, to keep all the apples and milk for themselves because you know pigs they're the smart ones, and they need all the good stuff to power their big beautiful brains, I guess and yeah. We just shorten from here on out, basically, what happens is the pigs almost turn into humans, and you can't tell them apart any, anymore by the end, that's the best line of the la- the last line of the book, and it's the best, yeah, absolutely the best. yeah um so there there are i I mean I completely understand where you're going with the the Democratic Party comparatives there's there's several in there the, the dividing everybody up into groups. um you can definitely see the individual characters. As people in the party today, um, well, it it kind of started out almost socialist. the the farm that is, you know, everybody got what they needed, and everybody was expected to help work. And it started out very effective. Like even the ducks and the and the chickens were able to help with with the hay harvest because they made sure that not a single you know, blade of hay was wasted. So it started out as almost a a utopian government within their little animal farm. As yes. well, most, most. socialist part, parties usually do. Yeah, it's, that's how it starts. Oh, there was the part uh, we forgot where the farmers came back and tried to take Animal Farm back, and Snowball the the uh, pig that was. Most outgoing and vivacious had read a little bit about uh, Julius Caesar, so he took control of the the counter attack and ran the humans off. And he was injured at the time, and they decided to make awards, and he was given uh, was Animal Hero Second, no, Animal Hero First Class. Yep. And And then uh, one of the sheep was killed in in the war or in the battle, battle of. Was it Cow Barn or something like that? Um, yeah, Cow Shed. Cow shed. shed? Cow Shed. Yeah. There we go. Battle of the Cow Shed. Um, and then the one sheep was killed, and he was given the award of, you know, Animal Hero Second Class. Um, so they started breaking their own rules pretty early on. And, well, whenever any of the animals went, oh, uh, they had written these seven commandments on the side of a barn, and whenever any of the animals started to think, "Wait a minute, isn't that against the rules? The animals would go back to the barn to read the rules, and the rules wouldn't be quite as how they quite the way they remembered them what was what was I would say the the first rule that the animals probably broke was that they can't wear clothes because one of the horses was told that she couldn't wear ribbons in her mane anymore because that was a human invention and that would be considered clothing, and you can't do that. But then they gave him awards, and, well, if a ribbon is is uh, clothing, then, you know, a medal would be clothing as well. But the, the first rule that's really pointed out as being a broken rule was no animal shall she sleep in a bed. Well, the pigs... <laughs> the pigs had moved into the farmhouse and the pigs started sleeping in a bed. When the other animals went to check on the rule the read it off the side of the barn, it said, No animal shall sleep in a bed with sheets. Squealer. uh, I blanked on his name for a minute. Squealer, being the, the mouthpiece of the pigs, said, well, anything's a bed. Wherever, a pile of straw, wherever you sleep, is a bed. To say that you can't sleep in a bed would be silly. Sheets are the problem. Sheets are a human invention. So yes, we, we sleep in the beds, but we don't use sheets. And the animals kind of went, mm, okay. And that was just the first one. What was the next rule they broke? Do you remember?
2: The next next rule I believe that they broke was no animals shall drink alcohol. And I think that's when
1: they added the two next words after that one. Right. So the pigs had, uh, well, they they had discovered beer. No, whiskey. They had discovered the, the case of whiskey that the farmer had in the basement, and they all got wasted. And the next day, when the animals went to check the rules it then said no animal shall drink alcohol to excess and well shortly thereafter the pigs decided to to uh, restart the brewery <laughs> to start making beer
2: <laughs> and
1: regularly and regularly drinking beer too because they started adding that to their daily regimen that's right they added it to to their to their rations all the while the pigs are getting all these more rations, they're cutting back on the rations of the other animals. And sometimes cutting back on the rations is almost, uh, well, I'll explain first. So the, the work of the farm is getting done so very, very well in the beginning, but then the pigs come along and start making more rules about we have to do more and Well, they started to take the eggs from the chickens when they said they wouldn't do that in the beginning. And Sunday was always a day of rest and celebration. But now, Sunday, you have to work. Well, you don't have to work. It's voluntary. But if you don't work, then you're going to lose half of your ration. And keeping in mind that the pigs, for the most part, their work is mental. (sighs) Ah, Do we do we need to really talk about the windmill? I'm not sure how. It's kind of what what breaks
2: boxer boxer in the end.
1: Boxer, that's um, the horse's name. You're right.
2: <laughs> I I cheated. I googled. <laughs> right. Uh, okay. Yeah. That, it's it's kind of what breaks him in the end. Um. So I guess it's worth mentioning this lofty goal that they try to build a windmill. Um, What kind of point that was between... uh, It was a fighting point between, really, Napoleon and Squealer. Squealer had all these lofty goals, these uh, different things to achieve, technological feats that they wanted to go after. And Napoleon was kind of like, eh, status quo is fine. Status quo is fine. And after Squealer... Or not Squealer, sorry. After Snowball is driven off, all of a sudden, all those... and New
1: Age ideas. Yeah, they weren't snowballs anymore. They were Napoleons. And Napoleon was going to drive those home. And they were Napoleon's idea all along. He only pretended to oppose them in the beginning. Yes. <laughs> right. Facts don't matter. You, you'll you believe what we tell you. We can always do revisionist history. If we say it, if we repeat it long enough, over and over again, it just becomes true. It's no big deal. Revisionist history. That's exactly what it was. They just changed what was said in the past in order to fit the narrative of the day okay so uh, the windmill was was the source of these lofty goals and the windmill was a huge project and boxer the the horse that constantly worked was always throwing all of his extra time and energy into building the windmill and when the windmill got knocked over by a storm well they blame snowball and we only have a few seconds left in this first segment, so well that went like quick. Yeah, it, it usually does when I have a guest. I should have guests more often. It, it makes this uh, just completely fly by. Oh, there's the music. See you in two minutes.
0: You're listening to Liberty Lighthouse on Mojo Five O Radio.
1: Hi, I'm Peter Seraphine, host of the Liberty Lighthouse on the Mojo Five O Radio Network. I got my start in politics when I got so frustrated with progressive society that I wrote a short book, Progress, Really? My book is a quick look at the past, current, and future state of progressive culture and progressive government. I urge every liberty-loving American to read, Progress, Really? Pick up your copy for less than $5 by clicking the Books tab at liberty-lighthouse.com. What do you need? I mean really need to protect yourself and your family. A home security system? A big scary dog? A gun? If you're committed to protecting your family, and we know you are, even a reliable firearm falls short of what you need. To keep your loved ones safe today, tomorrow, and every day, you need access to life-saving resources that will help you survive any threat and the legal battle that comes after. That's why the USCCA gives law-abiding people like you the self-defense training, knowledge, and legal protection they need to help ensure the safety of their family and future. Discover what the United States Concealed Carry Association can do for you and your family by visiting uscca.com slash mojo5o.
0: gathering of freedom fundamentalists since Philadelphia in 1776. Mojo 5-0. Welcome back to Liberty Lighthouse with Peter Seraphine. Join the conversation now.
1: Call or text 64MYRIGHTS. That's right call or text sixty four my rights, and you too can hear your voice on the radio and possibly even become a guest like mojo Riverfish. We are talking about george orwell 's animal farm, and uh, the mojo Riverfish had the the theory that george orwell 's animal farm was uh, was a a warning of what our leftists are going to do to our nation if we let them and uh, we, well, you made a few points to that effect and then we kind of went over the basic story for anybody who wasn't familiar with the story. Do you have any, any more specific points to make in your uh, case that Animal Farm is about the left?
2: I mean, it probably, it because of the fact
1: that no matter what,
2: what's gone on in the last year, five years, ten years, is that it seems that the left keeps making these rules. And then all of a sudden, the rules don't apply to them. Uh, take the whole little Me Too movement. Oh, this person's guilty of it. This person's guilty of it. Cancel culture, which is the dogs that got they canceled a lot of people out during the course of this book. Right. Until the rules got applied to the left, and then all of a sudden it was, oh no, Joe Biden wouldn't hurt to do that. Oh no, the beloved icon, that Ta- Hollywood person Tara wouldn't Reed? do that.
1: Who's Tara Reid?
2: And they're we- kind of you know, given a pass. Um, COVID is very much the scare tactic that's seemingly getting the American populace, a majority of, not all of us, to kind of march in line to get to whatever end goal they really want to get to. We just don't know what the goal really is just yet. Whether it's wear a mask, um, which kind of dehumanizes everybody, um, to not gathering, um, the limiting of the number of people that can gather. Then you get that whole little deep change of rules, uh, just like in the book, you know, hey, you can't gather more than 10 people. Well, unless you're protesting, then by all means, go ahead.
1: But, hey, o- but only if you're protesting gather. the right way.
2: Yeah, and you have to protest the right way about the right thing. So it just is, interesting in this book, how when the rules are to on one side, oh, no, 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 we didn't mean it like that. Look again.
1: Okay. Unless it's applied to their opposition. Okay, so the points that you made are that... Uh... Napoleon is Nancy Pelosi. Squealer is the mainstream media. Uh, Snowball, I forgot who was Snowball. Snowball is AOC for a- now. AOC, okay. Um, you got the 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 sheep who are the sheeple. Um, the you can uh, go to the sheeple. I very
2: much like them as a squad since just kind of uh, their they, mouth as a distraction okay.
1: until everybody shuts up. That's true. They did do that several times. Um. Let's see, what else was you, uh COVID, uh, the, the fear of, of coronavirus is the fear of the farmer returning. Um,
2: okay. I think the dogs definitely represented um, cancel, culture. cancel culture. They also represented the uh, social uprising that we have in the streets these days, especially with Antifa. I think the dogs would definitely be that. If you're a city or a town government, the fear of them coming into your town or in City streets, uh, not exactly a welcome sight. And if they want something, BLM, you kind of, you know,
1: give in. Okay. And all very valid comparisons. I, I really can't argue with any of them. Uh, they all make perfect sense. Um, well, my, my theory is a little different. Uh, I happen to know, um, oh, trivia, by the way. George Orwell has been dead, whoa, I don't know, he died uh, shortly after 1984 came out, which I believe came out in 54, so, yeah. anyway, all of George Orwell's written works, the copyrights expire this year. As of January 2021, George Orwell written work becomes public domain. Oh my gosh. So I really hope. That these, uh, especially 1984, gets remade into a movie again because the 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 original movie's good, but it's really kind of dry. You have to be interested in the story to want to watch this movie. So I'm hoping somebody can do that better.
2: Oh, yeah, but who do you want to direct that? I mean, do you get Tim Burton to do it? That could be a little creepy.
1: (laughs) And Night Shyamalan.
2: M Night Shyamalan, but have a twist at the end. We'll never see it coming. Um, they are all Muppets. Um, oh, gee, do you want Jim Henson to do it? That could be a little, little more kissy
1: poo than it really deserves to be. No, Jim Henson needs to do Animal Farm.
2: Yeah. Oh, okay. Sorry, I went up on a, I went up on a, on a tangent there. Didn't mean to. But um, any of those, any of those books. You gotta get the right director or it's gonna go into some kind of it, it stands a chance to go down some farcical avenue that just takes away from the the power of the book, the, the power of the message
1: that it was really meant to be. Yeah, that's that's true. And anybody who hasn't read Animal Farm, it's a really, really short book. Um the the audio book is like two hours and forty five minutes long. I mean, it's really short. And if you if you haven't read it, you need to. It's a really cute little story, and it, it's a big, powerful warning. Um, my take on it is I think you know, knowing that George Orwell was actually a socialist, that most of what he wrote about in, this ta- in these, these uh, warning-type uh, works uh, was more not the fear of socialism, but the fear of tyra- uh, tyranny, the, the fear of a, a, a dictatorial, tyrannical government. And, you know, we live in a constitutional republic. We happen to be fortunate enough to live in the, the longest-standing, oldest constitutional republic ever. Most republics throughout the history of the world have only lasted for 200 years, going back to... When the Greeks tried it, when the Romans tried it, when the Chinese tried it, they usually only last about 200 years. What happened to the Romans is they had this republic, they got wealthy, they started giving everything away to their citizens, and their citizens got fat, lazy, and greedy. Sound familiar? And hmm. eventually, that destroyed Rome. Rome was not destroyed by invaders. Rome was was destroyed by the the uh, falling of their own morals within their their society. We are two hundred and fifty years older thereabouts. We're due like we've lasted longer than than republics usually do. So that should be a warning to us. And I think George Orwell's works, if you look at Animal Farm, well, the animals were living under a bad government, you No, know, you know, Farmer Jones. They overthrew that government. They implemented what they thought was a better government. And that better government, within a few years, turned into something as bad or worse than what they had to begin with.
2: Yeah, what's the old,
1: the old line for back when?
2: overthrow one tyrant to get another one that was right. back when we uh, first set up this
1: government right and and the idea was back then even that uh, you know why throw why overthrow the uh, the tyrant 3,000 miles away to replace him with 3,000 tyrants a mile away that's the line tyranny does not have to be a single dicta- dictator. Tyranny can be elected. You can put people like that in office. And I personally think that all government, well, government becomes a living thing and it's only worried about growing. That, that's all it wants. No matter how pure the government starts out, becoming more powerful and more rich is is what the government machine does. Regardless of who you put there at some point. At, at some point the beast of government itself takes over. You understand what I'm saying? No, I'm with you. I think that the only saving grace that we could possibly have in our own country now is to somehow get lucky enough to put enough people into our own government to restrict our government back to the original Constitution. Uh, Just like in Animal Farm, they had their seven rules, and those seven rules changed. Well, we have the four pages of our U.S. Constitution and the 27 amendments there, too. But that's not what our government works off of anymore. Our government looks for ways around our Constitution. Our government works out of a you know, several thousand-page version of the Constitution that includes every court case and opinion ever written about it. Opinions aren't forever. Opinions apply to specific instances. They are not overarching cover-everything things. They should not ever be considered part of the Constitution. So, that, that's my argument. I didn't take the time to go through Animal Farm and, and apply individual uh, people to characters, although there are a few things to point out. One of the things that the government did is a Boxer, the horse that, that uh, well, he kept working and working and working and working, and that was his answer to everything, was just working harder. Well, Boxer eventually gets ill in the movie and is supposed to be sent to the vet, they sent him to the knacker, as they called him. Uh, he was sent to the glue factory. They just killed him off. So they didn't have to pay for his retirement. And to me, that's that's socialized medicine. Um, if you really want the government in charge of making your medical decisions, you've obviously never looked at a country that has the government making, char- making uh, medical decisions. Because then they get to decide whether or not you are personally worth the money that it will take to invest in that medical care. And in the case of Animal Farm, they they decided that Boxer was just too old, that he wasn't worth it anymore. It's kind of interesting that over the course of the
2: book, you slowly get to see pigs elevate themselves, and no one can test it, when they elevate themselves to a ruling class, exactly. uh, which I'm afraid we've already done to ourselves. We have our senators and our congresspeople and how dare you not use their title when you address them. How dare you address them as your servant, which they are. And uh, we've already already committed this and we've already said that. We've created our little little room class as did in the book.
1: Well, in, in America, you know, nobility is forbidden. However, if you bestow a title on somebody for the office that they hold, and then let them keep that title after they leave the office, Secretary Clinton. Um, that's nobility. I mean, that's the definition of nobility—a a title for a, a forever title. So we President should... Carter, <laughs> right?
2: He hasn't been president in forty years. Holy crap, people!
1: And, and I have to say though. Carter was a horrible president, but he's a really decent human being. He has done a lot of good things after leaving the White House.
2: Oh, he's delightful. I've heard him talk. I've I've covered uh, some stuff from him from when he was running for office. He was the most down-home, seemingly sweet, sincere person running for political office ever. He was a peanut farmer, legitimately
1: a farmer. Right. And, uh... And now he's he's almost single handedly responsible for the the Habitat for Humanity and the you know the Restore retail stores that support Habitat for Humanity. And to be honest, the my my friend across the street refers to the Restore um, uh, store as the Jimmy Carter store. So if he if he needs to go buy something and he wants to get something old and used and you know, for, for a project, he says, I'm going to go to the Jimmy Carter store and pick up a door or whatever. <laughs> I love those stores.
2: I, I, I regret ever showing my wife that store because she uh, she restores old furniture and flips it. So she buys a piece for 20 bucks and uh, flips it for 200
1: So that's where most of my extra money goes. Wait, but if she's making profit, shouldn't you be getting your money back at least? Oh, wait, you said I wife. Got... I, you you said wife. I, I'm sorry.
2: <laughs> yeah, no, 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 no. There is no money back. There, it's been 20 years. I have not seen money back.
1: I got a happy wife. I just, I don't see money back. Okay. There's one part here. It's not really part of the book, but I think it kind of ties in. It's a quote. Um, did you happen to listen to my Veterans Day speech? Yes, I did. Okay. The quote at the end of that, uh, 19th century British philosopher, John Stuart Mill. He, I I like this quote. So the quote is, war is an ugly thing, but not the ugliest of things. The, The decayed state of moral and patriotic feeling, which thinks that nothing is worth war, is much worse. The person who has nothing for which he is willing to fight, nothing which is more important than his own safety, is a miserable creature and has no chance of being free unless made and kept so by the exertions of better men than himself. That's where I think we as a society are today, and I think that is where the animals of Animal Farm were. They they gave up on their freedom they gave up on their liberty they gave up on all of their free time and happy you know happy time and and all that kind of stuff because they were afraid of the farmer coming back oh
2: and, they did it without a whimper exactly, they gave up everything Exactly, and never contested it they never spoke up they never even raised anything other than oh, okay i guess that's the way it is now and they went about their day and it's a very bad state of affairs when you just kind of shrug it off. And and uh, later in the book, they even point out the fact that generations have passed, and most don't remember any way the life was before Animal Farm came to be. They forgot all of their history. Right. And another thing that's going on today:
1: we don't teach history the way we used to. No, not at all. And. We don't teach civics the way we should. We don't teach the sense of civic duty. You know, JFK's "Ask not what your country can do for you, but what you can do for your country" is an unheard of, baffling statement today. Oh, you hear that statement, but it's flipped. It's
2: very much flipped. It's "What can your country do for you?" It is never, never uttered the way that JFK actually said it back then. It's certainly. It's always. You know, what can my country provide? Why isn't the government giving me this? Why doesn't the government do that for me? Instead of AOC's comment of, you can't pull yourself up by your bootstraps.
1: Well, yes, you can. It's just a figure of speech, darling. Right. Well, it's, you know, President Obama's, you didn't build that. You have a business? You didn't build that. Yes, that's the other one that just boils me every time I hear that one. Right. So the book ends. With um, the last of the commandments being well, first off, the we got to the shall not drink to ex- alcohol to excess, and then no animal shall kill another animal. And of course, they do the those animals who confess to conspiring with Snowball um, are all summarily executed by the dogs. So that rule is changed to no animal shall kill another animal without cause. That immediately reminds me of the Patriot Act. You have the right of privacy. You have, you know, the the right that you can't be searched without a warrant and all of that kind of stuff. Unless somebody thinks you're a terrorist. If, If somebody thinks that you're a terrorist, then... You know, we can wiretap you without telling you. We can put you on no-fly lists without telling you. And if you happen to find out that you're on a no-fly list, we don't have to tell you why you're on the no-fly list. Yeah, the the FISA courts and everything else that's been going on lately. Right, the secret FISA courts. (laughs) You can't spy on an American citizen unless, and it's that unless, which is the slippery slope. That is the foot in the door, so to speak. You are giving way too much power to a government that has already taken way too much power just by the fact that it's growing to the size that it has. And the last rule of of Animal Farm was all animals are equal, but some are more equal than others, was the addition and how true is that looking at our government? Like you like you were just talking about the aristocracy part of it, you know. AOC says that we should all get rid of of gas guzzling vehicles, but what does what she gets chauffeured around in a massive SUV everywhere to go the three blocks to wherever she's going in DC. You know?
2: Yeah, how many times have we heard a congressperson say, Well, I can't I need a raise. I can't hope to live on this amount of money, it's a six figure salary. Right. How do you expect me to serve you on this kind of salary when most of us, yeah, kind of scrub by on you know, a third of that on. or whatever. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't want to disparage anybody, but some of us don't worry, make anywhere near that amount.
1: Yeah. No, I don't.
2: <laughs> I definitely don't. I'm glad you weren't going to shove in my face the uh, the when we were talking about the commercial uh, for the listeners that weren't listening. I did admit to the last line of the uh, book where I saw the uh, book Peter's way, the last line of the book ends with uh, the animals were looking into the farmhouse, and they looked to the farmer, to the animal, to the farmers, to the animals, and they couldn't tell which from which, which basically goes. The argument of this book is more a reflection of the government at large right now, uh, which Peter is trying to make the argument for um, than mine of Picking apart and casting it uh, with current characters.
1: And well, I think you could still do that, but instead of having, say, Nancy Pelosi being being uh, Napoleon, you could just take the whole Congress as Napoleon, or maybe the House of Representatives is Napoleon. Um, you'll end up with the same the same result. I, I'm not saying that your answer is wrong. You're entitled to your your view. That's the beauty of literature, is you take from it. It's the beauty of all forms of art. You take from it whatever you wish. Oh, once I read that part of the book, though, I'm like, the Democrats and the Republicans, I'm like, what's really the
2: difference anymore? There really <laughs> isn't any difference, except for a couple of little points that really no one wants to stand for anymore anyways. Nope. They kind of just shrug their shoulders and they'll go along with the you know, the popular view.
1: Nope. That's why I just, speak, just joined the Constitution Party. Very happy.
2: With yeah, that. I haven't... I, uh, I I heard your your show last week or the week before, sorry, where we went over you know piece by piece what you know what each party stands for, and I'm like, yeah, I'm with the constitutionalists, libertarians
1: too. I've been a Republican at heart, in decades probably, if ever. Well, I I until I found the Constitution Party and and uh, officially affiliated with them, anybody would ask me my opinion, in, you know the. You know, are you a Democrat or Republican? I my answer was always, I am to the right of the Republican Party. I I'm the Republican Party of fifty years ago.
2: Yeah, yeah, I definitely go with that more than anything.
1: Oh, Look, my computer wants to restart. I'm going to say not now.
2: <laughs> not now,
1: not now. Although we could have this conversation all over again, it should be fun. <laughs> okay, so um animal farm was all government all government throughout world history and you pick a government it doesn't matter if it was democratic or republican if it was uh fascist if it was communist or socialist it's all government the the people rise up they overthrow a bad government they create a better government which then turns into a bad government it's, you know, it, it's why our Declaration of Independence clearly states that we, the people, have the right to overthrow a government when it no longer fits our needs. When when it becomes tyrannical, we have that right. And the wording in the Declaration of Independence was not time sensitive. It did not say we in seventeen seventy six have this right. It says that these are natural rights that people have everywhere, at all times. And my father-in-law was a big believer that it was time to invoke that part of the Declaration of Independence again.
2: And We're definitely not far from it. I mean, it's, they're God-given rights. They're not government-given rights. The government doesn't keep those rights. They're God-given. And we have that First Amendment right, freedom of speech, and we can redress any grievances we have with the government. And in so doing, toss them out. Right.
1: And, well, the redress process isn't even working anymore. I mean, government is, according to our founding documents, the sole primary purpose of government is to protect the rights of the citizens. But it's the government itself that is robbing of us, robbing us of our rights today. So they're obviously not doing that job. And I think, you know, back to the constitutionalist thing, I think our, our, the U S constitution is, is the best way of protecting people's rights is to have a, a federal government that adheres to our constitution and a vast majority of our federal government has has gone far beyond the scope of our Constitution and therefore is causing the, uh, you know, the, the stepping on of our rights. So without, you know, firing bullets and actually having revolution, I think the only way we have a chance is to get people who know and understand the Constitution and and want to shrink our federal government back down to you know, something more manageable is the only chance that we have.
2: Yeah, I had the discussion with my daughters, and they were all upset about the presidential race. And I'm like, well, I'm like, back up. Um, do we have the right people in Congress representing us? Do we have the right senators? Um, do we have the right state assembly people? I'm like, really, we can change more our government from a smaller perspective than trying to make sure we got the right president in charge we still have control if we have the right people representing us in Congress or Senate or the State Assembly.
1: Or even your sheriff. I mean, you'd be surprised how important just your county sheriff is because your county sheriff gets to choose whether or not he is going to enforce the laws handed down from above. His oath, just like everybody else's oath, is to the Constitution first and then, you know, whatever the people appointed above you or whatever depending on what office you're in so your local sheriff choosing to you know not enforce a mask mandate for example or not enforce a a, a second amendment gun grab you can make a huge difference just by putting people in local offices that understand the constitution and believe the way that you do
2: Yeah, too many times I hear people going, well,
1: that doesn't matter, that office doesn't matter. I'm like,
2: yeah, those are the people that have more direct control of what you do than the president does.
1: All politics so really, is local.
2: No matter how small the office is, yeah, they're, they're kind of really important. You should really get involved. To make hear, sure
1: we have the right people running that. I hear music already. Wow. Well, thanks for joining me. Um, Thanks for having me. Until next week, everybody, protect your liberties. Once they're gone, there's no getting them back. God bless America.
0: Thanks for listening to Liberty Lighthouse with Peter Serafine. Be sure to sign up at liberty-lighthouse.com to download Peter's free ebook from the file share page and don't forget to call or text 64-MYRIGHTS to leave comments for the show. That's 646-974-4487.